last of the Ten Commandments, for our, our series at least, um, coveting. Interesting word, thou shalt not covet. Um, you know, almost every commercial you see, whether it be television or whether it be uh, radio or, or, or newspaper or somewhere on the train or, you know, wherever, it, it's trying to get you to many times covet after something, maybe? I mean, how many times, and this is, this is kind of a thing that, that we do, that Charlene and I be watching a ball game together or something, and, and uh, you know, a commercial comes on. And I'm, over the years, I've always just, hey, I, I need that. I want that. I need that. And it's kind of, you know, that's just years together. I used to go from an eye roll to now it's like, yeah, honey, you really do. You really need that, which is even more dismissive. I mean, you know, it's like, and of course, we just laugh about it and everything, but um, um but that's really what they're trying to get us to do, right? Want, want us to get us to, oh, yeah, I need that. I need that. I need that for my life to be full and complete and happy. And uh, sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's in your face. But uh, nonetheless, sometimes, it's, uh, it, it, sometimes it works. So is that what covening is? Well, it's certainly in the family. Okay? But I'll go a little deeper with that, though, a little further with that. And I want to take you to the text. The text comes from Exodus chapter 20. And um, there's other places you can look for the Ten Commandments, but we have chosen to stay with Exodus chapter 20 for our, for our series. And uh, let me just show you what it says here. It's Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Interesting uh, concept here. Then keep in mind, of course, it's a male-dominated culture, and, and it's not saying it's okay to covet your neighbor's husband. Uh, either way, either, either one is wrong. It just so happens that he's, written, he's writing this in a male culture, saying this about men who uh, arguably might have more of, a, more of a problem with this sometimes than women. But, um, but the point is it's wrong, where, where, whichever side it's on. Um, the message, which is a paraphrase, arguably, trans- arguably a tra- another translation, uh, puts it this way. I thought this might add a little light. Because, you know, you start, thinking about, you start thinking about ox and donkeys and stuff. I'm probably the only, I'm probably the only depraved person here that ever, ever coveted somebody else's animal. That was a, I, used to, I, I coveted, I, I had a couple horses when I was a kid, and, and I'd see a really nice horse, and I'd covet that horse. I, I want that horse. Probably the only guy here that's ever had that, I know. But, but, but hey, what can I say? I bring new depths to the word depravity. But um, in the message paraphrase, it goes like this. No lusting after your neighbor's house or wife or servant or maid or ox or donkey. Don't set your heart on anything that is your neighbor's. Still wasn't clear enough for me because I want to make it relevant to our culture. Right? So... Because, you know, and we're not usually going to be coveting people's uh, ox or donkeys, unless we're, you know, like me many years ago. Um, so I sometimes do this. I did my own translation. Okay, the, the, I call it the RTT, um, the Rich Teeters translation. And um, to try to make it even more clear. So here, here, here we go. This is, uh, this is good. This is really good. Um, don't look with a desirous want at your neighbor's, at your friend's house or vacation house, or fine-looking, got-it-all-together spouse, or nanny, or even their Lamborghini. I kind of added that because some of us are car guys. Um, 
I mean, that, that kind of speaks to our culture a little more. That kind of, it's more a little more summit uh, and area type of, burbs of New York type of thing, and even New York for that matter. So, so is coveting just selfish wants? Well, it's in the family, yeah. Uh, it, but it all, does it just involve greed and lust and, you know, just this large degree of self-centeredness? Is that what coveting is? Not solely and not entirely, but it's certainly a, a part of that. And that's what I really want you to see. And here's the thing. Every definition, every, every commentary that I have read on this, I mean literally every one, and I'm not exaggerating, uh, that I've read about coveting involves not just wanting more and better and bigger and, and, and so forth, but it always involves an element of wanting what belongs to somebody else. And that's the context of this. So you can say, well, what's wrong with me seeing in my friend's car? And I say, you know, I'm going to go get me a car just like that. You know, that might be fine. That might be wrong. Depends on your attitude. Depends on your, whether you can afford it or not. We hate to remind you of this in church, but we've seen what can happen when people buy stuff they can't afford and then finance it in the last couple of years. And some of you are feeling the very painful effects of that. Many of us are. So obviously there's something there that's, uh, at best, it's un- at worst, it's unwise. There's probably some greed or some other kind of thing involved. But is that, is that, that may not necessarily be coveting, because it's not that you're wanting somebody else's, it's just that you're wanting something you can't uh, afford. And that's, a different, that's a different issue. Not a good one, but a different issue. Um, so coveting has more to do, and this is the important part that I want you to see, it always contains an element of wanting what another has. And here's the really bad part about that. Just take that a little step further. That means not only do I want what you have, but I don't want you to have it. Now, that really sounds bad, doesn't it? You're like, ooh. But that's where it leads. So, yeah, are there elements of envy? Are there elements of jealousy? Sure, and those things are wrong in and of themselves. But the whole coveting thing just goes, at a, just goes a step further than that. Um, one, one commentary puts it this way, Israelites, in this context, people of God, uh, were not to long for, desire earnestly, or lust after what legitimately belonged to somebody else. The Apostle Paul addresses that later on uh, in time in the book of Romans. Look what he says, speaking of the Ten Commandments, and this one specifically, Romans chapter 13. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal. We've talked about all these. You must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you, if you really want what's best for your friend or your neighbor, and Jesus defines neighbor, not, not as literal neighbor, but people in your sphere of, of influence and general vicinity and so forth. Um, if we really want what's best for them, we're not going to want something that belongs to them and not want them to have it. That's basically what he's telling us here. That's coveting. Wanting what somebody else has. That's coveting. Materialistic, sure. Selfish, yes. But coveting, just, it's, it's, it just takes it a step further. So here's my deal. Here's what I want to do. I want to just take our, a, a few moments and just talk about some, you know, obviously I can't give you prescriptions. They don't always work uh, in this kind of context. I want to give you some suggestions, or what I call safeguards to keep you from coveting. Just some safeguards. Um, as, as I have said and will say again, it just still comes back to the heart and the attitude of that. But there are some things we can do to, to think through and, and pray through at times 
uh, and talk to people about and so forth. So some safeguards against coveting. Um, three words I'm going to give you. Um, ownership, contentment, and gratitude. All right, I'll come back to those. The first one is ownership, this concept of ownership. Let me, let me introduce that to you by telling you it wasn't my first and it certainly wasn't my last brush with being coveted, covet, coveting, excuse me, with, with coveting something, but I remember it well, and because of that, I'll give you an illustration from 1984. You say, wow, you keep track of your sins? <laughs> Believe me, even I can't keep track of my sins, okay? And I have my iCal, my handy little iCal on my iPhone, and I feel a lot of stuff on there, but the one thing you can pick it up and, and, and look at, you won't find a, a daily list of my sins. I, I don't have enough RAM for that. But um, is that what it is, RAM? Yeah, anyway, um, 1984, we, uh, Charlene and our family, uh, we have, a, we have a, a sixth grader and a three-and-a-half-year-old. We moved to Vail, Colorado, to start a church, help start a church. And uh, we're, we're, we, one of the first uh, things that we did, some friends took us around and, and showed us uh, Vail. We had been to Vail a couple times on vacation just to ski and so forth, but now we were there in the middle of July to live when we moved there. So you could had more access to some of the roads on the mountain, things like that. And, and we, we were driving around and, and, and getting an understanding, probably our first real view of, of just opulent wealth. I mean, really opulent wealth. Where you're looking at second and third homes that were, at that time, we're talking 84, 84 we're talking million, two million, five million, six million dollar homes, second and third homes. I, le- I learned then and would learn later how true it was that in many cases these people would use their homes maybe two weeks a year. So as we're struggling to survive and live, and I see this kind of, kind of wealth, it never had really happened to me quite like, I got ticked off. Who in the who in the who are they? Who are they <laughs> to have this? And and here we are, just trying to survive in a little three bedroom townhome that we're renting. Now, don't feel too bad for us. It was a three bedroom townhome that was fairly spacious and it was brand new and it was on the edge of the White River National Forest and there was a golf course nearby and there was a direct route to the ski lifts. So I don't really start crying too much for Rich and Charlene and, and kids, but, but, but I'm still looking at these, at these huge, like two weeks a year, I'm like, why don't, why don't we have one of those? And, and furthermore, not only should we have they shouldn't have it. I mean, that's, that's, just, that's just the hardcore truth of it right there. And so what do I do with that? You know, how do you, how do you deal with that? And you're just like, golly. Oh, and, and, and so this is this, this concept of ownership. You know, what the real, you know what the real fallacy of coveting is? Thinking you have anything anyway. <laughs> Thinking you own something, you, you, don't. you don't. It's, it's all God's. And he's just entrusted it to you. He's entrusted us, some of us, with more than others. That's his deal, not mine. Mine is to figure out what to do with what he's entrusted me with. Now, I want to pray for you. And as a pastor, I want to help you. If I, and I've had that privilege a number of times, beginning in Vail. Of, I, mean, I, remember, I remember vividly the first, I've had many conversations like this, but the first conversation I had with a guy, I need some, just, just some guidance on something. I said, oh, sure, come by the office. Come by. And he says, you know, I, I just try to figure out whether to, sell, whether to sell my third home over here or not. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Sell that and give it all to the church, buddy. That's what you should do. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, 
But, but, but it was a serious question. And by that time, I'd had enough years there to figure out this wasn't just some you know, frivolous type of thing. He was trying to really figure out how best to use the resources that God had blessed him with. And he, and he truly was. So, so the point here that I want you to see in this whole thing is the not-so-dirty little secret is at all this, nothing I have is mine. You know, it's just all that what God has entrusted to me, and, and we're simply stewards. And, and, and the real th- thing about that is it's not just about greed and selfishness and, and being unloving, but, but when we think this stuff is ours, it's an affront to a holy God whose it really is, and He just entrusted us with that for a period of time that we don't know, as we now know, especially now. So instead of wanting what my neighbor has, all of a sudden, A, I'm concerned with what I have been entrusted with and how to be a good steward of that, and B, I might even want to pray for or help my neighbor to do the same thing, even though he may have more or may have less than what I have. You know? And that's, that's the thing about coveting. You know? it's, it doesn't have a class. It, you don't have to have a certain income bracket. You don't have to be of a particular kind of race or a particular, uh, uh, you know, upper, lower, middle. You don't have to, it, 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 it's for all people, wherever they're, whatever, you know, some of the poorest people in the world are some of the most covetous. Some of the most rich people in the world are some of the most covetous. So the thing about coveting, it's just that equal opportunity sin, you know. It's the way it works. So, so ownership. First, for, first thing we're going to start fighting off and have some safeguards against coveting is we've got to understand this concept of ownership. I don't own anything. It's God's. It's all God's. My job, is, my, my job is to determine how much of what God gives me I should live on, and the rest is His. We're going to get a, we're going to get a, a very brief, at the end of the message, a very brief uh, financial update that we do from time to time, and Clay's going to do that, and he won't say this because he's too gracious of a guy, but I'll say it. And you know, y- y- you need to give more, okay? But the idea there is not, don't necessarily give more just to give. It's you need to figure out, okay, this is all the blessing of God, how much of this should I live on and how much should I just give back to God? Because this is anyway. sooner you realize that, the easier it's going to be for you. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna hold it a lot more loosely. Tough concept sometimes to get though. That's the first thing, ownership. Second thing, contentment. Learn this, this, the secret of contentment. The Apostle Paul in the, in, the, in the book of Philippians, New Testament book, Philippians, he's thanking the people of Philippi, the church at Philippi, um, for helping him. Because they've given him some money and some materials and some resources as he has gone some other places to start some churches in that whole, in that whole area, which is now, for the most part, modern-day Turkey. And, um, and so he's going around Greece, and he, he, he's doing all this. And so the church at Philippi helps him, and he thanks them. And look what he says in Philippians 4. How, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned about me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Watch this. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned, here it is, I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's a famous verse. Many of you, if you've come out of any, any you've heard it in any, many Christian circles, if you come out of any kind of background, if you've, you've probably heard that Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's kind of interesting. I, back in the fall during football season, I, my friend 
he, he we were we were both watching and my and I was in my home he was in his home watching a, we both knew we were watching a football game Florida was playing and um and uh, Tim Tebow if you know who he is he's a quarterback of of uh you probably do quarterback of the of Florida, was the quarterback of Florida Gators he'd always on his eye dark would always wear a verse so my friend instead of googling he ritual 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 what do you call rich equivalent of good call rich you know so he calls me and he says hey what's Philippians four thirteen and I said, dude, why don't you read your Bible, okay? That's the first thing, you know? Well, oh, come on, come on, just tell me what it is. And I said, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he said, oh, man, you're good. I said, not really, <laughs> not really. <laughs> There's a whole lot of people who know that verse. Your kids probably know the verse because they've learned it here. But uh, it's one of those verses that we have, we just sort of pepper it everywhere in church circles. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all Here's the, this is just what's so great to me. Look at the context of that verse. And I, I have no problem with you using it in different situations and so forth. I have no problem with Tim Tebow wearing it in his eye during a football game. I have no problem with that at all. But, but, but please do get the context. Verse 12, the verse right before that. I know how to live almost, on how to be content with anything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. The whole context of I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength is in the context of I can be content in my circumstances. That's pretty, and you know what? That is a God thing. That is a God thing. I don't, I don't know of any other way one can be content with whatever's going on in their life. It's a secret of contentment. It keeps me, keeps me from, from wanting what my friend has and wanting me to have it, wanting his. Even, even if I don't, even if I'm not in one of those situations where I don't want him to have, may not be there. It's just wanting more, better. Secret of contentment. Third thing, gratitude. This is, this is one of those verses, that, one of those concepts. I do this sometimes. I call like I'm going to, I say this and I, it, it sounds terrible and I don't mean it to sound terrible. But I say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just beat you over the head with this concept. And then I, 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 when I do that, I usually just, just pepper you with a bunch of verses. I'm going to do that right now. Just four or five, very quick. But I want you to get one point, one point out of this, okay? When we talk about thankfulness or, or gratitude. Developing this strong, strong attitude of gratitude. Look in Ephesians chapter 5, always giving thanks to God. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Watch. And thank Him for all He's done. Thank Him. Colossians 2. Let your roots grow down into Him and let your lives be built on Him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Overflow with thankfulness. Wow. What does that look like? Well, they're pretty positive people. They're not a bunch of whiners, they're not a bunch of complainers, they're not a bunch of moaners. They're just pretty positive people. I like that too about a person, don't you? I like being around people like that. I want to be that way. Overflow with thankfulness. Colossians chapter 3, Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Always be thankful. Colossians 4, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. One more, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, always be joyful. Even when somebody's stinking cell phone rings in church, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances. Sorry, I just sort of added that to the text a little bit. 
<laughs> just, that's not in the original. I just want you to know that. But, um, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Be thankful in all circumstances. Okay, do you get the point here, folks? I, I, don't, I don't want to be repetitious, but it's too late for that. Um, develop a strong attitude of gratitude. Chesterton put it this way, one of my favorite, favorite authors. I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Just the highest form of thought. Look, coveting's a tough thing. Materialism, all that goes along with it, all that we get just saturated with. It's a tough thing. Uh, let's, let's be honest about it. But, but there, are some, there are some safeguards that we can do. Get this concept of ownership down. You don't own anything. Contentment. The, the, by God's, literally by God's power, I can be content whatever the circumstances are. Don't need the sunshine. Don't need a huge portfolio. I can be content in whatever, whatever comes my way. Because of God. Because of Christ. Third thing. Just develop this deep attitude that's just, just grateful. Just, I'm thankful. I tell you, it changes how you live. And may God give us the ability to do that. Let me pray with you right now. Lord God, we are grateful for the opportunity that we have to stop and reflect and to think on you. And I pray that the Spirit of God would give us that ability as we think through this and as we pray about it, some of us have to deal with some pretty hard issues on this. God, we thank you for the ability to, to deal with it and for the relationship that we have with our Creator made possible through Jesus and how we're able to live in a way that's going to really take us to a different level, much more effective, much more, much more abundant, much more powerful, more, much more positive. We know that only comes through the relationship with our Creator, with our Lord and God. And we thank you for that. And pray that as we think about this more throughout the day and maybe the week, that we would uh, put that into practice as well. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.